most modern love songs are in some way about love. From sappy love songs to angry breakup songs, most of the well-known songs that we hear on the radio, that we hear in stores, that we see on TV, are about love. Another popular subject of music today, of modern music, is dreams. Now those uh, dreams are almost entirely about love, certainly, but they're still dreams. Now, can you recognize any of these? I will not sing them. Dream, 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 dream. When I want you in my arms, when I want you and all your charms, whenever I want you, all I have to do is dream, 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 dream. What about this one for uh, uh, people who are maybe slightly a little older than me? These dreams go on when I close my eyes. Every second of the night, I live another life. These dreams that sleep when it's cold outside. Every moment I'm awake, the further I'm away. What about this one? That I always thought was Led Zeppelin, so I was very wrong. This is from Aerosmith. Oh, sing with me, sing for the year, sing for the laughter, and sing for the tear. Sing it with me just for today. Maybe tomorrow the good Lord will take you away. I will not sing Dream On to you. I can't. No one here except Brandy can get those notes. What about this one? This was a, a little more uh, uh, somber song, but uh, I walk this empty street on the boulevard of broken dreams where the city sleeps and I'm the only one and I walk alone. Why are there so many songs about love? Well, because it's a universal emotion across all ethnicities and people groups and cultures. Love is something that people understand, but dreams are a little different. And inside of the Christian faith, dreams have played a role in our story. There are still many, though, who believe that God speaks through dreams. Can he do that? Well, of course he can. Does it happen? Well, it hasn't happened for me. But we can all agree on something, that dreams play a pivotal role in the, the unfolding story of what God is doing through humanity. Especially here. The first part of chapter 37 talks about two dreams that Joseph had. These dreams are important because they, they point to Joseph's future. But there's a deeper lesson to be found in all of this. Joseph's attitude toward those who are around him, the brothers that he had and his parents. The, the attitude of pride that he carried as he told people these dreams about the future that's coming. This morning, we're going to see the introduction of Joseph. Now, Joseph is a, it's a meaty story. It, it goes from chapter 37 all the way to the end of Genesis. There's 14 chapters where Joseph is the main character in the story. And this chapter describes his early days. And it begins in verse 1 with Joseph taking care of the flock with his brothers. Now, we see this in this passage and we see this unfolding. Joseph is his father's favorite son. It's not surprising that Jacob would have favorites though, is it? His whole life has been a story of people playing favorites. He, he watched as his father favored Esau instead of him. He, he understood that his mother loved him more than she loved Esau. Jacob had a favored wife. He loved Rachel while he tolerated Leah. 
And when you see how important this character, this person, Joseph, is to the story of Scripture, and you see some of the things that he accomplished, you see the things that had happened to him in life, it's natural. It is perfectly natural for you to think, well, Joseph sounds a lot like Jesus. There are some comparisons here. Joseph was despised by his brothers, yet loved by his father. Jesus was despised by people he came to save, yet he was loved by the father. Joseph's family was messed up, and on the surface, so was Jesus, to, born to an unwed teenage mother. But be careful not to make Joseph into something he's not. Verse 2 says that he was 17. In our minds, we, we picture Joseph as a 17-year-old, a, a fresh-faced, youthful young man. And it's not difficult to start making uh, uh, Joseph into the perfect opposite of the men that we've seen so far. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, serious flaws in their character. And here comes Joseph, the chosen son. Young, energetic. But Joseph is not Jesus. He's not perfect. Scripture doesn't say this, but it does say that he's 17. And we all know there is no such thing as a perfect teenager. Day in and day out, right? 17-year-olds are not perfect. It's impossible. It's difficult to, to start making Joseph into the perfect opposite of all of those men came. But be careful not to make these Old Testament people or any person, for that matter, into something that they're not. They're not perfect. They can't save anyone from their sin. Their stories are recorded in Scripture, not for us to esteem them, not for us to make them superheroes, but rather to point us to the one person that could do what they could not. It's to point us to Christ. And we even see hints of this in Joseph's life in verse 2. It says that he reports his bad brother's bad behavior to his father. The first thing that we think of when we see this is that, well, Joseph's a snitch, right? And in some places and in some cultures, being a snitch is actually just as bad as actually committing a crime. So he may be a snitch, but I don't think that's what Joseph is doing here. If you look at the Hebrew wording... I'm not going to dive into it, but the Hebrew word that Moses uses for what Joseph did is in every other instance in Scripture, negative. What does that tell us? That maybe Joseph was giving an untrue report. And you say, well, why, why would Joseph give a report that's not true? Really, it's the same motivation for why he would give one that is true about his brother's. He's trying to make his brothers look bad while he's elevating himself in his father's eyes. He's the, whether he's a snitch or a liar, he's working to make himself look good. And he's using his brothers to advance his standing. It's the epitome of pride, isn't it? Say, I'm better than you. Look at me. And of course, this makes him unpopular with his brothers. They already didn't like him because he was the favorite child. And now he's doing what entitled people often do. He thinks only of himself. There's no excuse for what his brothers do that we'll see next week. 
There's, there's no excuse for, for attempting to murder someone and then lessening that and selling someone into slavery. Neither one of those are good things to do. But it is a healthy reminder to remember that these brothers were human beings just like you and me. They weren't mindless robots. They weren't people bent on making people suffer. They, they're not criminally insane. So that would mean that something or someone pushed them to do this. And that person is Joseph. He didn't care about how his brothers would feel. All we see that says in verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. Now, he was the favorite. Joseph snitched or he lied on his, about his brothers. And then scripture tells us that now Jacob, Israel, is going to give Joseph a special robe. brothers are stewing, aren't they? Why does Joseph get everything? Just because dad was old when he had Joseph, why does does he get to do everything? He gets away with murder and we get punished for everything. Those of you with multiple children have heard that, right? It's not fair. Why does he get everything? Why does she get to do everything? And then Joseph receives this coat, this robe from his father. Now, just, I don't mean to break everything that you've ever known, but Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat is not true. That's very loosely based on a biblical story. But if you've seen that or you've seen pictures of Joseph, it wouldn't be pictures, it'd be drawings of Joseph, uh, you may have seen him wearing this rainbow-colored coat or robe. But that's not found in Hebrew. In the original writings, and again, I don't want to ruin this for you, Hebrew doesn't tell us about the color. Rather, it talks about the length. And so the Christian Standard Bible, I think, gives the best translation of this verse in English. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And he made a long-sleeved robe for him. But a multicolored robe just sounds better, doesn't it? A fancy robe, an ornate robe. Now, here's the importance of why this matters. Because we think, what, long sleeve? Who, what does this matter, short sleeve versus long sleeve? Workers at this time would wear tunics or they would wear jackets or robes or their clothes. And, and they would hike them up to make them shorts, to use our terms, and short sleeve shirts. Why? Because they're out in the heat and they're working. Jacob gave Joseph a robe that was long sleeve and went all the way down to his ankles. And again, you may say, well, what does that matter? There is a big difference between a Carhartt work jacket and a $10,000 Dolce & Gabbana dinner jacket. They both serve a purpose, but not the same purpose. What does the work jacket do? It's utilitarian. It keeps you warm when it's cold. It's it's designed to to get beat up and to get worn. And in fact, it actually looks better when it's worn. But you put on a nice Dolce and Gabbana or insert whatever famous designer you want to do. You don't go out and work in it. You go to dinner and why do you wear it? To show people how much money you have. That's the purpose. 
And this is what Joseph is doing, wearing this robe. He's showing that he has a position of favor that the other brothers don't have. This is the family heritage, isn't it? Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob. Rebekah loved Jacob more than Esau. Jacob loved Rachel the most. And knowing what we know about Joseph already, I'm guessing it's pretty safe to say that he didn't say thanks, Dad, and he put the robe in his closet. It's not what he did. There's no way he did that. He put that robe on, as any 17-year-old would do, to make sure that every person in his life saw him wear that robe. And you can almost see him strutting around like a peacock with that robe and kind of doing this and showing off and kind of posing and doing all those things that we would all do if someone gave us something so expensive and valuable. Jacob's sins, his father Jacob, his sins, and there were many, have not only caused family problems for himself, but it's also caused him, his son, to mistreat others, his brothers specifically. And so I keep thinking this over and over. I keep saying, as I'm studying this and as I'm reading and I'm praying, I'm saying, God, why are you giving us all of their dirt? Why is it over and over we're seeing how bad these people are and how rotten some of the things that they do are? Why is this? Maybe you've thought that way. Why am I seeing this? I, I don't want to know these things. It's the, the sole reason why we should all just blow up every Facebook account that we have because we see things that we really don't want to know about people, right? That's the biggest problem that we have. And here, it's like we're looking at everyone's feeds right now. We're seeing dirt and filth and bad attitudes from people that we were taught from an early age, these are heroes of the faith. Most of these characters that we've seen, most of these people that we've seen, are not people that we would want to be part of our groups. Most of the people that we've seen here, they would have been excommunicated from our church. Unrepentant sin over and over and over. And so you wonder why, why would this be included in here? And let's be honest, if we were creating a religion on our own, and we're writing a story on our own, we'd have heroes and villains, right? And the heroes would have to, to, to get over insurmountable obstacles. And it would look like the hero was about to lose. This is every superhero movie, by the way. And it's just at the bottom moment, the, the worst moment, the, the superhero figures something out. There's some inner strength that he or she can tap into, and they win and achieve victory. That, that's what we want, right? Wouldn't you think that the Bible would have the same objective to, to point us to these characters as people that we can emulate, the people we can be like? After all, be like David, you can slay your giants. Be brave like Daniel, you can survive the, the, the furnace. But that's not what's happening. The Bible doesn't leave out people's bad sides. In fact, no one we've seen so far has been described in a detail uh, that, that gives us an idea that they have a clean slate. Every person so far has been bad. So why would Moses spend so much time focusing on the sins and the bad traits of these people? The answer is that God in his sovereignty is slowly laying out the case 
that there is no person worthy of God's love. This is really what the whole Old Testament points us to, that we are so unworthy. Joseph included. Look at verses 5 through 8. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. There are things that we should think or we can think that we should never say out loud. There's a, a, a fine line, a very fine line between honesty and legitimate care for someone's feelings and well-being. And it's something that we learn to straddle that line as we mature. The best case, and unfortunately some of us have said this, never, ever, 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 ever ask a woman if she's pregnant. There are some things you may think should never come out of your mouth. Well, Joseph had a dream where the imagery is that his brothers would one day bow down to him. His brothers understood this. There was no doubt what he was saying. This was not a good idea. See, Joseph should have understood. He should have had the 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 cultural intellect, the intelligence enough to see that uh, this is not a good idea to say this. this. I may think this, I may have had this dream, God may have given me this dream, but this is not something that I should share. The relationship's already bad, it's only going to make things worse. Here, here's how this often looks in our lives. A relationship, whether it's work, family, marriage, friendship, if we have a relationship that's not healthy, it can feel like we're walking around on eggshells because we're trying not to step on those landmines that, that we often find. And why? Because in a relationship that's not healthy, one crossword or one misinterpreted word could blow everything to pieces. If the relationship had been healthy, the final straw that blew everything up would have just been like, okay, he just, he just said something in passing. He didn't mean it. But when you're looking at everything through a negative lens, when you see thing, things through that view, everything that happens is negative. See, the story that I can give to explain this is that I, I learned this the hard way. Um, I was a bad teenager, but I wasn't a capital B, capital A, capital D teenager. Um, I was all lowercase bad. I, I didn't do the terrible things that, that you hear about on TV. I remember as a kid watching um, one of those um, sleazy talk shows on TV as a teenager, and, and I said, hey, Dad, I could be worse, right? I could be these people. I mean, they're robbing banks and, and marrying their cousins and doing all sorts of weird, creepy things. I'm not doing any of that, so you ought to thank me. I'm just getting kicked out of multiple Christian schools. And so, so I started thinking through all the bad things that I've done, and I remembered back to my father and my principal in, and, and me were sitting in the principal's office, and I had done something that wasn't really that bad, but it was the millionth thing that I, thing that I had done. And the principal said to my father, he said, well, this is just a straw that broke the camel's back. And I never heard that before. And, and, and I asked my dad later, I said, what did he mean by that? And he said, and he explained it, and he said, well, 
son, you didn't, the thing that you did wasn't deserving of expulsion in and of itself. But when you do that thing every day, it adds up. The idea is you put one piece of straw on a camel, it's not going to do anything. But if you get millions of them and throw them on the back of a camel, and I guess you'd have to pile it up in a certain way. But at some point, it's going to be too heavy for that camel to carry. And this is what's happening in relationships in the Bible. And we see this here. Joseph's relationships with his brothers was already unhealthy. They didn't like him at all. So when he comes and says, one day you will bow down in front of me. He may have been telling the truth, but he only made them angry. Not everything that comes into our heads is worth sharing. And so Joseph shares that first dream with his brothers and it was unwise. But then he takes it up a notch and he shares another dream that he had with his parents. This is verses 9 through 11. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now, not only does he tell his brothers that he will rule over him, he says to his father, I will rule over you as well. Joseph was prideful, but it should come as no surprise. He was the favored child. He was the, the son who pleased his father the most. This is what happens when a parent elevates one child above the other. There's a sense of entitlement. that They can get away with anything they want. Joseph grew up knowing that he was the favorite, and he was consumed by what these dreams meant for him. He didn't care about how his brothers would interpret this. He didn't care about his, his father. All Joseph was concerned about was himself. This is the definition of pride. Pride is finding pleasure in one's accomplishments. Music to Joseph's ears was noise to everyone else. Now, earlier, I mentioned how there are some similarities between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph is not Jesus, and he shouldn't be viewed as the Savior, but there are some similarities. But here, Joseph stands in stark contrast to Jesus. Just think about what Jesus did. Jesus, as part of the Trinity, created the entire universe out of nothing. Jesus has no beginning. He just always was. And he still created everything knowing that his creation would rebel against him. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had perfect communion with each other. Yet God still chose to show his glory through creation. And that creation rebelled. Humanity chose to, to go our own way and, and, and ridding ourselves of this, this burden of God. That we are the the kings of our own destiny. And so we rebelled against God. But Jesus, in his immeasurable grace, chose to humble himself, leaving the perfection of heaven to live here. He became a man. And in doing so, Jesus was hated. He was mocked. He was rejected. He was accused of crimes he didn't commit, and he was found guilty by the religious leaders. This people who shared Jesus ancestry and ethnicity demanded that Jesus be crucified. 
and he was beaten and hung on a cross to die. Jesus could have come down and and called down every angel to come and wipe out every person who abused him. But what he's doing is immeasurable humility. This is what Jesus did. He, He has always been and will always be fully God, but Jesus chose to suffer and die in our place because a substitute had to be made. If you contrast that with the story of Joseph, you see that Joseph knew that God had a plan for him, and he knew that one day he would stand in authority over his brothers, but rather than simply trusting God that he would work it out, Joseph used this to further his own interest. We see these opposites here. We esteem these people in the Old Testament, but the reality is they are just in need of a Savior as much as we are. Now, I'm sure that some of you may be thinking, well, wait. Joseph just told the truth. He's just telling what's going to happen. I mean, he had a dream and he's telling the truth. What's wrong with that? Well, the truth certainly matters. What we do as a church happens because we believe the Bible is our ultimate source of truth. But just because something is true doesn't mean that we should say it however we want. See this Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Colossians 4 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We're likely not going to have dreams as vivid, pardon the pun, as colorful as Joseph. But we can learn from his mistakes. If all that we do is tell people the truth without any tact, we've really accomplished nothing. And in fact, Joseph's example tells us that we can actually make people angry, which may happen anyway, but it should never be our goal. One of my favorite words, um, it was most popular in the late 1800s, is a word called winsome. And what this word means, and it carries a lot of value, it means this, generally pleasing and engaging, often because of a childlike charm and innocence. You're thinking right now, I know some people who are winsome. I know those people who, people just want to be around because they're so warm and gentle. See, our standing in the community is damaged if people think all we're doing is yelling at them. If all we're doing is saying, hey, we've got the truth, you don't, see ya. Think about the interactions you've had with people. If they're aggressive or they're boastful or prideful, what did you think if you left that conversation? Even if they're correct, even if their points had merit, you still don't want to agree with them. See, Joseph's dreams came true. Later, he would ascend to great power, but along the way, he allowed his pride of what God was doing in his life and what God was going to do, his pride was in his status, and so it put him in some bad situations. Now, we see that God was sovereignly working everything out according to his plan, but along the way, Joseph's arrogance and pride in his standing with his father caused his brothers to hate him. Bringing it home, what about you? What about us? 
Do we see areas in our lives where we're like Joseph? Do we pride ourselves in something so much that others around us grow to dislike us or even hate us? In my line of work as a pastor, um, I struggle with this. It is very easy to become prideful when people will sit and stare at you for 30 minutes to hear what you have to say. And, and, and this is not by force. Every single one of you here today is here willingly. You chose to come here. You chose to not get up and leave. You chose to sit here and listen to me speak. And churches all around the world are doing this. And there are a lot of pastors who struggle with pride. Especially in churches that are growing. Dang. We had 2,000 this week. Oh, next year we're projected to have... 3,500 people are coming and listening and people in the church are telling the pastor, great job, great sermon. I'm growing because of your preaching, because of you. You're, you're the man of God that God sent for us. You, you have been such a blessing to our church. All of these things are major potholes for us as pastors. There's a danger in having a platform, people wanting to hear you, people wanting to read what you've written, people wanting to, to, to meet you and to be around you and to, to be discipled by you. See, the truth is that none of us are going to get a robe. That'd be weird. Here, you're my favorite child. I'm going to give you a robe. No, none of us would ever do that. But in our own hearts, it could be something else. It could be our jobs. It could be our wealth or our status. It could be in the power that you may have to, to sway people's opinions. It could be in having a platform. See, I want you to see that Joseph is no different than his father and grandfather and great-grandfather, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His sin, pride, wrecked relationships and caused him to face difficulties. But there is hope for Joseph, and there's hope for us. This morning, I, I want to close by sharing just a few thoughts as I was reading through this and, and studying. Three things really jumped out to me. First, Joseph's faults never ended the covenant that God made with him. And we've seen this over and over, haven't we? I mean, I, I, I've said this probably every week that we've been studying Genesis, is that the covenant that God made was a one-way covenant. God said, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, you are my people. You belong to me. The covenant that God made with his people was not based on the obedience of the people. This should give us comfort because we can't out God's grace. For us today, when God calls us to himself and brings us into his family, it is a forever family. This is the terminology that you'll hear with adopted families and especially in foster care. The term forever family. Those children that, that, that unfortunately get bounced around from house to house. Yes, it's their family for a season, but it's never permanent. And that hope that they have is that forever family. That one day they'll never have to say goodbye. That this is their home, their mom, their dad. And Christian, when you've been called into the family of God, it is your forever family. You cannot outrun God's loving grace. 
You can fight it. You can wrestle. But when we're his, we're his forever. Second, God used a flawed character to accomplish his purposes. Again, this is the, the pattern in Genesis. God takes unclean people and he makes them clean. Just the other day I was watching a video of a, of a guy who was making fun of the Christian faith and everything that we believe and hold dear. And, and in this video he, he paints our faith as, or paints our idea of God as God is some being who just arbitrarily makes up rules and when we don't follow those rules, he kills us. And, and, and basically this video was portraying God as, as unreasonable or irrational. And, and us being even worse than that. And, and so I couldn't obviously respond to a video, but my first thought was to go, well, why did God make rules and standards? Why did God give those out? Knowing perfectly well, God is perfect and knows everything. He knows our past, present, future. If God knew that, why would he give those rules, knowing that there is no possible way that we can obey them? The answer is this. So that God could be most glorified in sending Jesus to die and defeat death. That's it. The rules that we can't perfectly follow are the rules that shine a light on the cross. And we're seeing this in Joseph's life already. He couldn't follow the rules. But he was shining a spotlight, a beam directly to the cross of Christ. Finally, if God can use these flawed characters in Scripture, God can use you as well. And it's tempting, though, to read these passages, the, these, these parts of Scripture, and say, well, man, I can't be special like these guys. I, I, I can't do the things that these guys did. We, we know what, what, what God used all of these characters in Scripture for, these, these people. And, and I can't be that way. I can't be that good. I'm not that talented. I'm not that special. And in church life, it even happens more. If you can teach or you can lead, people will be drawn to you. You get a platform. But most people aren't teachers. Most people aren't called to be leaders. I, I've, I've sat with people who have told me, I'm just not good at anything. I have nothing to offer. And I say, well, Scripture and church history are full of stories of people who thought they didn't have anything to offer. Moses had a difficulty speaking. And God still chose him to lead his people. The Apostle Paul had something that he called a thorn in the flesh. Whatever it may have been, it caused him great difficulty to the point where he thought that it may have affected his ministry. Christian, you've been called, not only called, but you've been equipped for good works. Not only have you been brought into the family of God, you've been given all that you need to accomplish wonderful things for the kingdom. God's called you, and he's given you the resources and the tools to do what he's called you to do. You may resonate with the life of Joseph. You, you may find that your pride has ruined relationships and prevented you from advancing further in your career. Maybe you relate to these people more uh, that came before Joseph. No matter what your difficulties in life may be, from your own sin or the problems that you face because of someone else's sin, you have purpose because you belong to the family of God. I can't stress this enough. 
because you are a child of God, you are a son or a daughter of the king, you have been given things that you didn't have before. You've been given the ability to do things. Why? Not to glorify yourself, not to be like Joseph here and to pride, uh, find pride in and of yourself. No, you've been given gifts so that you could glorify God through those good works, that people will see those things that you're doing, that people will know that you are a winsome person, and people will be drawn, and people will see, I need some of that. And that the gospel that we present, the gospel that we share, the gospel that we live will stick. But if we're doing what we're doing because of pride, it won't work. Sure, you may grow a following, you may, you may gain a, a, a presence online as a, as a preacher, the church may grow. All of these things may happen, but the, the reality is how many pastors have to fall because of pride before we realize it's not a good thing. Joseph's life has given us the example of some of the stuff that happens when we base our future on pride. But at the same time, knowing what's coming next, when we see God's faithfulness to Joseph, we see God's goodness to Joseph, and we see that even a flawed man can be used for God's purposes, that should give us incredible hope that God can still use me and God can still use you. And he's called us to serve him faithfully and to use those gifts that he's given us. Not for ourselves, but for the glory of God. Would you pray with me?